what did you eat for breakfast? I, what did I have for breakfast? I didn't have anything and I was starving. So at lunch, I had a big lunch. <laughs> awesome. And what was that? I went to, is it La Madeleine's? Okay, I can't oh, speak yes. French. Mm -hmm. And I had a omelet and some sort of like tart or something, but <laughs> it was nice. good. Yeah. You are listening to the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Business. Business. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Print Company, located in Fort Worth, Texas. You may remember I talked to Justin back in episode 5 about the merch industry and his passion for music and working with bands and artists. Do you need help with your merch? Skinny Armadillo specializes in quality apparel decoration, including screen printing, embroidery, design, digital on-demand printing, web stores, fulfillment, and more. Contact Skinny Armadillo now to find out how you can grow your merch sales, discover the current printing technologies, or to get a quote. Call 817-546-1430 or visit theskinnyarmadillo.com. That's 817-546-1430 or visit theskinnyarmadillo.com. Make sure you stay up to date with the podcast by signing up to the mailing list at musiconyourownterms.com. There you will find show notes to every episode and links to other resources. Alright, so welcome to episode 23 of the Music On Your Own Terms podcast. Um, I am joined today by Latoya Cooper, also known as... The Songstress! <laughs> Very good. How are you? I am awesome. I'm so excited to be here and uh, being a part of your podcast. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, so a bit of a quick backstory. We met at the uh, CD Baby conference uh, was a couple of months ago now in Austin. Um, I guess the first question is, what did you what did you get out of the conference? Well, the crazy thing was the crazy thing was that I went to the conference with completely no expectations. I was just completely open and um I was amazed at how great the the segments were and mm -hmm. how much information they actually provided and how um, how the in-depth of the information, how great it was. So I took back so much information that was useful that I could use with my clients on how to better market, um, building relationships, networking, also um, CPA type of information to better position my business for with the financial aspect. And so, so yeah, it was a lot of great things. Awesome. Um, so yeah, let's dig into your history. So let's okay. uh, tell everyone, uh, you know, what you do, both uh, music wise and professionally. 
Absolutely. So during the day, I am a senior analyst for a federal agency uh, for the regional commissioner's office. And there I do analytical work and project management type of work. And um, at night, I say that's my full-time day job and my full-time night job is singing and also helping other artists build their careers as well. Cool. And that, um, and that company is music, uh, music meets the music meets the boardroom. That's right. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll dig into that in a little bit. So, uh, um, I think the, the biggest thing I want to start off with is, uh, you're planning on leaving what a six figure job at the end of the year and pursuing music full time. So that's both scary as hell and uh, exciting. Yes. And it's interesting because I haven't told a lot of people. Um, Secret's out now. The secret is out and I'm okay with it. I plan on like making an official announcement in December, (laughs) (laughs) but um, it's the right decision because I've been kind of toying with the idea for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't something that I had planned or even considered literally you know, um, as you know, I'm a very spiritual person. So I was just kind of like at work, minding my business in my cube. I'm retiring here. And something just tapped me on my shoulder and was like, Latoya, don't get comfortable. This is not your last stop. And I heard it and I said, okay. Um, and, and God just told me to, to, to take the leap of faith. And he told me about a year and a half ago and I was just ignoring it. But um, once I submitted to that push, everything just started to fall into place. And the areas that I was most worried about, um, I'm not concerned about anymore. So everything's lining up. Cool. Um, and obviously you, uh, you've put a lot of thought into it and you've done a lot of planning. So it's not like, hey, I'm just going to quit my job and then crap, I can't afford to pay my mortgage anymore. You've, you've obviously done your homework and you know, you, you, you're pretty much financially set for a bit. So yes, yes. Um, I was trying to figure out how some things were going to get paid. And one day I just had clarity and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm actually going to be out of debt. This, my car is going to be paid off. Everything's going to be, so I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be fine. At least for a while anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That's good. Yeah. It was obviously a good uh, note to say, don't just quit your job and start. You have to have a plan financially as well you as do have, you, you do know, have to have a plan musically. So. At first though, when I was kind of like getting this push to go, I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. I was like, oh my gosh, why am I getting this push to do this? And I don't understand and all this stuff, but um, everything works out perfectly. So Awesome. Um, so let's, you know, delve into your, your past. How did you start singing in the first place? I started singing at three mm-hmm. and I would sing for anybody who would come over you know, that annoying little kid with the, like the hairbrush. <laughs> and um, I sang just consistently all the way up till I was 19 years old. And I had some really awesome, great experiences and accomplishments. At 19 years old, I won top talent at Miss Oklahoma. Nice. And uh, many other things, had a chance to sing for the governor and, and kind of do a lot of different things in the state of Oklahoma where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And I stopped singing because, you know, when you're a creative, sometimes you're like the odd person in the room a lot and you have to have thick skin to be able to handle a lot that kind of is thrown at you. And so at, you know, 19, 20, 20, 20 years old, you're relying on the people around you to guide you and to give you direction in life. So, you know, I listened to, you know, go to college and put that singing away and get a nine to five. And, mm-hmm. um, it was a very interesting journey. I, I got one degree 
That didn't make me happy. I got another degree. That didn't make me happy. I got another degree and it went on. And I didn't understand because I was pursuing the American dream, you know, mm -hmm. of, of, you know, and I didn't understand why um, I was struggling with finding peace. And I actually suffered with depression for 10 years because of it. And later I realized it was because um, that gift was how I spiritually connected and mm -hmm. it was gone. So whatever was feeding me internally was completely disconnected. And so once I realized um, what it was, uh, I was like, oh, I'm, and God told me to start singing again. So I started singing again. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, for regular listeners, obviously depression is a big subject for this podcast. Um, but I wonder, uh, and, and the American dream, you know, that's actually something that's come up in, you know, previous episodes. And I think, you know, I, I don't think the American dream is necessarily get a degree and go get a nine to five job. I think it's, you know, as someone not from this country originally, I think the whole point of the American dream is just kind of, you can pretty much do anything you want to do if you plan and, and learn how to do it. You know, I'm fr from England. It's, you know, there's a very social kind of pressure of, yeah, you can't really do that. You're English. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You just, just lower your expectations a little bit, but here it's like, yeah, I mean, the world's your oyster and, you know, there's a lot, you know, against you in terms of, you know, life's hard and, and, you know, you have to have money to do stuff. But mm -hmm. once you get over that hump of, you know, how do I make money at what I love doing? You know, as long as you do the research, I think you can pretty much do anything you want at this point, you know, and make money at it. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. And that was something I had to discover, even though it was right in front of my face. Um, I think that going to school and I'm not against going to college, but college does condition you very much. And so when you've kind of taken that on, it's hard to kind of see what obviously is in front of you and what you really do have access to in your life. And so once I saw that, I was like, oh, you know, I'm ready to break out of these chains and out of this environment. And it's it's a process and it's going to still be a process. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, let's see. So talk about, uh, you know, what does your musical um, persona look like at this point? Like what, what, what's your style and, um, you know, what's the plan for releasing music? If you could talk to that. Absolutely. Bit. Um, so now I have wrapped up my music and I call it eclectic soul. That's how I define it. And that's because my background is so rich in just a diverse types of music. So mm -hmm. I grew up um, singing classical music, um, inspired by jazz. I spent two or three years in a reggae band. So you really hear those various influences in my mm -hmm. music, my voice and my singing. So um, yeah, that's how I define it. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, the when I first checked you out, it was, uh, I was just blown away by the tone of your voice and the pitch and things. But then I really dug into the music and I'm like, Wow, that's actually kind of weird that I'm such a fan of progressive music and lots of different genres collected together. And I almost discovered you by osmosis. Like I didn't know that originally, but then I got into the music and I'm like, wow, that's, this is really eclectic and really cool. So I think my favorite song is, uh, uh, what is it? Beautiful Bird. Beautiful Bird. Yeah, I just like how, yeah. how the, the way the song's structured. Mm -hmm. um, 
but no, they're all they're all great songs. Thank you. Um, and that was actually the very first song that I wrote when mm -hmm. I started getting back into music. And that song came to me at three o'clock in the morning. I was asleep and I was woken up and something just told me to start writing. And I started writing. I picked up my guitar and started playing. Um, and that song came to life. That's excellent. Yeah, you kind of have to uh, take hold of your, um, you know, there's two schools, schools of thought there. Either, either if you don't write, or record what you your inspiration is right at that moment. It's gone forever, ever. Mm -hmm. And then there's other schools of thought that just say, you know what? There's only twelve notes. You'll get it back at some point. It'll it'll emerge from your subconscious eventually. You know, it's probably not lost. But who knows? I mean, that's the thing. If you want to be, um, you know, if you, if you want to be productive, it's kind of it behooves you to kind of get it out there so you can work on it the next day or something. Right. Um. So let's go into Music Meets the Boardroom. How did you get started? Um, well, actually, first, let's kind of talk about what it is mm -hmm. um, for listeners. And then, uh, yeah, let's talk about the history of it, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So Music Meets the Boardroom is an organization that's designed to help um, ambitious artists find purpose, self-empowerment, and strategy to execute God's vision for their gift. Mm -hmm. And how we do that is providing courses, workshops, consulting for artists who are wanting to build or needing to build their business structure, operation, and helping them uh, define business savvy practices mm -hmm. and things like that. And helping artists kind of just shift the mindset from, I'm not just an artist, but I'm also an entrepreneur mm -hmm. who is intelligent and confident in making great decisions for their business. And I would love to see more artists position themselves for passive and residual income and actually see that as a future goal and an accomplishment for themselves. High five. <laughs> that <laughs> is possible. what this podcast is about. Exactly. So. That's it. And it's possible. And what I find interesting, I know you asked me one question, but I'm going to venture off a little bit. Sure. What I find interesting is we put all this creativity into our music, but then we don't transfer that creativity into <coughs> our actual business. Mm -hmm. We can be just as creative in how we tackle our business and build our business. And I'm intrigued by how that doesn't translate over. Mm. And I think part of it, and I may be wrong, maybe your insight on this. I, I think because like socially, I think creatives are kind of told that business is not something that they're good at. So we just kind of avoid it. Maybe. I, don't I, I think there's partly that creatives kind of feel uncomfortable for asking for money. And it's mm. a huge thing for me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's also this kind of almost stigma that says if you're creative that, and, and this may be from the artist side, not, society side it's mm -hmm. just well i should be i should be paid well for my art you know i do all this work and you know i i get a pittance from it but the, i think it's almost an entitlement thing where you know if you're if you're you know you, you you go buy all this expensive equipment and then you learn how to play it and you write and then it's like oh well i should be getting a check for that now but it's like well hang on if you're a plumber or a carpenter and you buy all this experience uh, ex equipment and then you do all the training to be a really good carpenter you know money doesn't just start rolling in you have to be have a business part of it as well so it's i don't know i don't know if it's necessarily entitlement or it's just 
Yeah, I, I think know. that's definitely a conversation mm. to continue around that. You know, what exactly is it that we're thinking or feeling that that doesn't allow us to feel like we are deserving mm. of that? And the other thing too is if you go back in history, you know, the Greeks and probably the Romans they their artisans were paid like they'd have a rich person that would pay this artisan to make them statues and mm. paintings so they could have something to look at and i think people may and i think i have a feeling that that's kind of the the uh stream of consciousness that they um i forget the guy's name but uh patreon mm -hmm. uh, i think is it was the band was pomplamos that set up patreon and i think their kind of idea was that it's like well we make art, so we're going to have people pay us, which that's how Patreon's business model is. But we don't live in great times anymore. So, mm -hmm. eh, you know, what are you going to do? Right. And I also find that it really stems back to confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, if um, if we're confident, the people that's around us that's buying our music, they're going to be confident in, in, in what we do. And right. so I'm finding that that just all is part of the game you know being mm -hmm. confident asking for what you want asking what you feel like you deserve and people will honor that you know so absolutely so i think uh we had this conversation before um what does your uh, demographic look like i mean what what are the styles of music that you typically see in the boardroom mm -hmm. meetings and age range absolutely so i see an age range from 13 all the way up to i would say the oldest would be maybe like 38 that I've seen. Um, all of a, a variety of range of music, not in a particular genre. Um, I often even get clients who are in other creative creative industries, mm -hmm. such as like hairstylists, graphic designers sometimes, just any any anyone in those type of realms. Um, I've even had um, people reach out who are on Broadway and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So it just ranges. Um, yeah, I just I just wondered if you'd seen something that was more, um, I don't know, classical music or, you know, your your kind of like soul and it, it does seem there's certain genres that seem more business oriented than others, like the punk scene and the metal scene. At least the the bands that I come into contact with don't seem to be that business savvy. There's there's a few. I mean, there's definitely bands that are out there now that that seem to go from, you know, the practice space to national touring acts very quickly. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that, you know, the, there's somebody in that band that has a good business mind, but then a large amount of the, um, you know, the, the kind of garage bands that you see. And I don't know if this is just, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of, you know, different genre bands that are just kind of doing the bar scene and they're not really doing anything you know, beyond that. Um, and obviously metal and rock is kind of my, my thing. So that's the bands I've seen, but I don't know. It, it, it does seem that some of the more radio, that maybe that might be kind of the uh, mindset almost that if you're more radio friendly, more easy listening, you're, you automatically a little more ahead of the game than the challenging genres because you know, you get the general populace that kind of um, kind of listen to you a bit with more open ears. Where if you're listening to an extreme metal band or mm -hmm. you know crazy jazz, um, 
you know, Frank Zappa record, it's not going to be almost socially acceptable. So, yeah, I think part of it is because, you know, those genres are more underground kind of in, in mm. some aspects. And so I, I get that, you know, um, but then I also kind of see that as like an advantage too, mm. because now you have um, bands and artists who are doing phenomenal and you never see them on TV, mm -hmm. you never hear them on the radio, but they're selling out venues because mm -hmm. people are discovering them through all the streaming, which, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But, you know, that's kind of like um, streaming is a is a catch 22 because you don't make a lot of money off of your streams, but it opens up opportunity to tour right. where it leads to money. So mm -hmm. I guess it just depends on how you look at it, really, on that aspect. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, just going back a little bit, I think the the uh, the, uh, the term is riches in the niches, but mm -hmm. I don't say niches. I say niche. But um mm -hmm. You know, I think these the, the un, like an underground band is going to do well if they find out who their avatar is, who their person mm -hmm. is, their marketing to, yeah. and so it, it, you don't need like the, the the podcast is basically based around Kevin Kelly's idea of a thousand true fans, where if you make you know a thousand people um, your true fans and they end up giving you a hundred bucks a year, which is a couple of shirts and a CD, you can make a hundred thousand dollars. You know, if you rearrange the math how you need it but right. um you know you don't need millions of people and i think the whole thing about making it is skewed in the public's eye it's not you know it's not um the voice or american idol it's like oh it's an overnight success which you overnight, don't want that an overnight so, success yeah. takes 10 years anyway um but the point is you don't really want that because that's unsustainable you want to build a good fan base that's you know small to medium and and just have these people support you financially. Right. Um, but yeah, let's dive into streaming. Um, you had a meeting recently. Uh, this may not be streaming related, but we'll go into that. Um, uh, as a Texas Recording Academy District Advocate. Yes. So tell me about that. So as a member of the Recording Academy, they reach out to various artists who may be interested in being advocates for you know, the, the Academy and for artists. And so I decided to volunteer for that opportunity. And I'm so glad that I did. I had a chance to be partnered up with an amazing artist who, um, has a, um, has a studio kind of tucked away in the country and mm -hmm. artists go out there as a retreat and spend time. And, and I'm hoping to be able to go out there and, um, tour his facility. And his name is Pappy. Think okay. goes about Pappy, and he's been in the business forever. He toured with um, Bonnie Raitt, mm -hmm. and he's worked with Erica Badu. And I just had a chance to uh, sit down with him and learn a lot, as well as meeting with the different representatives and just talking about different policies and laws that are on the table that are affecting the creative community, the recording. And community. that is, and that is through um, the. That's part of the Grammy um, Academy. Academy, absolutely awesome. So what what did you uh, what was the meeting about? I mean, what what were the laws specifically that you were kind of advocating on? Absolutely. So there were three primary laws. Let me see if I can remember off the top of my head um, all three of them. But one was um, establishing a court system 
um, a mediation system for all artists who maybe encounter um, copyright infringement mm -hmm. because, um, you know, artists who are local, they may not have the funds to be able to fight that type of situation. So they're wanting to put something in place for that. Um, the other type of um, law that we were advocating for was making sure that if music was played on the radio for um, any artist that has released music in a professional manner, that that um, the radio stations, the streaming, the um, satellite companies obtain um, approval first mm -hmm. before playing that, just to make sure that the artists approve it and they're going to get paid. And not in, that doesn't happen in all cases. So, if, if you, uh, I don't know if you can get me up to speed, but my my understanding of the radio law is that the songwriter gets the royalty because of the way the law was written way back in the 50s and the recording artist doesn't. So a, a, one of the best examples is Hendrix, All on the Watchtower. Hendrix is by far the most popular version, but because Bob Dylan wrote the song, every, you know, millions and millions of plays that Hendrix's version got, Bob Dylan was getting the revenue, which he's the songwriter, so for the game, but there was no performance royalty paid to, to Hendrix's estate, so. The Absolutely. And how I understand it, um, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the US, the US and maybe one other country are the only countries that don't pay for performance rights. Mm. And so. Um, and we're talking about just radio play for domestic radio, not yes, internet. Right, right, absolutely. Um, and then you also mentioned the law that's in place that it's years old, so many decades old that needs to be revamped. That was part of the process mm -hmm. as well, is um, putting in steps to kind of revamp that and revise that law. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So, and because um, obviously internet radio and internet streams are so new, I would imagine that the law, how it stands is very far behind the times Absolutely. where it hasn't been rewritten enough. So it's just like, it's, it's like uh, the wild west in those terms. Um, so what is your opinion of, I mean, we said it's a two part, you know, double-edged sword for streaming, but I mean, ultimately, if you take out the fact that streaming revenue is a little bit low right now, and I think it's probably going to get, you know, more as, free. as <laughs> well, it's, it's not free, free, but it, it's, I think the, the, as time goes on, it's going to increase. I think that, again, the laws have to be rewritten. Um, but So you think that the, the revenue... I think it's going to go oh, up. And wow. then they okay. passed the law just not too long ago that uh, I th don't think it's come into effect yet. And I know like Spotify CEOs were like fighting it. And, mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that's actually in effect, but I think they're working to increase it. And I think over time it will. But so revenue aside, what is your opinion of streaming? versus like traditional recorded formats and physical. Right. Um, when I started out again as a performer and, and taking my career seriously, I just kind of thought it was okay. And you know, the typical thought that most artists have, we have as artists, but as I'm going along, I'm realizing that yes, it's great for the exposure, 
But I think it's important to always put in place what our expectations are for the for our fan. Mm-hmm. And so if I could go back and change some things when it comes to streaming, um, I would have probably put some different price points on some of my music and things like that. But I think even with some of the distribution companies, um, they define how much your um, music or singles will be. I don't think you can even charge more for a single than more Not than 99 streaming. cents or 199 or something like that. Are you like talking that. about downloads or streaming? Streaming. I don't think, I think that's or determined. Downloads, I'm sorry. downloads yeah. I think you can to a point. I mean, you can do it, definitely do it on something like Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you're yeah, right. With like CD Baby, I don't think you can determine the price. But um, I mean, my my feeling, you know, growing up with, you know, cassette tapes and then CDs and just knowing, you know, realizing how much I spent on CDs, mm-hmm. just astronomical as a teenager and, and realize, and, you know, knowing now that honestly, the amount of money going to the artist probably wasn't that much in the first place. You're so right. just yeah. because, you know, just, just so we're not quote unquote paying for, you know, the music directly, um, they probably weren't getting that much anyway because the CD, you know, the, the company, however their deal was, you know, it was probably pretty shitty anyway. The so, artist was still getting screwed. Exactly. So it's, but my, my thing is like, I, I really hate buying plastic Mm-hmm. You know, it's still a waste of resources and down, you know, the little part in between the, you know, with downloads is like, well, I don't want to have to deal with these files on my phone because my phone's going to, you know, clog up, you know, Spotify for me in terms of music discovery. And it, it's just amazing to having all this music that I can stream and um, discover new bands whenever I want to. And I'm paying 15 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's it's a case of it sucks that I'm only paying that much and this little amount's going to the artist. But on the other hand, if I do end up spending ten dollars on a CD, they're never going to get any more than ten dollars. But if I stream that, you know, obviously it's it's a ridiculous amount of times. But it's, that's that that you. is as we said before. That is actually the. Um, passive income that we're talking about because once you release that album it's there forever forever so yeah and if i would have known what i know now when it comes to releasing music and creating passive and residual income i would have been releasing music a long time ago and just let it build up mm-hmm. build up almost kind of like i want to compare it to the stock market but you know what i mean like you're con- you're constantly like you know putting into the pot and right. then just letting people find the music and stream it and buy it. i would have done that a long time ago had i known that so, mm-hmm. but I totally agree with you um, with everything you said. So, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that's definitely an advantage to having Spotify and other streaming systems is you can discover great music that we typically wouldn't have access to. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm always amazed. I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this? This person's amazing, you know? So, yeah, you're right about that, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I I just listened to uh, the, uh, Mark Summerlin, who was guest on uh, episode 22 his band's called Hunjek um and I'm listening to his band with his brothers that was from 20 years ago or something and I'm like you know what that so there's a band called King's X which I'm you know a mega fan of they're like musicians musicians they're they're just so amazing but I'm like well you know what if I start 
throwing that out to the King's X Appreciation Group on Facebook, I'm sure a bunch of people are going to really love it because it's not that far off. Mm-hmm. And and this is stuff that probably doesn't get much play. You know, it's it's his old old band from before. And I'm like, this is really awesome music. But if if we were still in a physical, you know, media society, that would be out of print and you'd never be able to get it. Like, it would be the kind of thing where you'd have to go on eBay and find that one copy that's in, like, Germany somewhere and you're going to have to pay, like, 50 bucks for it. But that's now true. it's like... Yeah, we, we've it's this massive collection of you know music from yeah that's, since the dawn of recording. That is so true, and it just brings back memories because I I had a box of cassette tapes that I carried around for years. I honestly I just got rid of it like last year. I kid you not. Still have us in our really. <laughs> I it's just like, it's something about I cannot give up this music because it's so good. Mm. And there was this one cassette tape someone gave to me. And it had this amazing, it was kind of like this, it was a it was a rock song. And I can't remember who it was, but I didn't want to, I can't find the tape. I don't know who this lady was, but she was phenomenal. And I think about that cassette tape. I think about it all the time. I'm like, man, I wish I would have known who she was. But I would listen to it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but but no one ever told me who she was. She was just on this cassette tape. Awesome It's like a, a mixtape someone recorded for you or something? Yeah, someone had just recorded all these songs and I discovered it and... The song was amazing, and I still I haven't heard it to, since this day. I don't know you who don't it have was. The tape. No, I think I mentally I probably could come up with like a pattern of the song a little bit, um, but it was brilliant. It was a great song. She had amazing vocals. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, if you still had the audio on the tape, mm-hmm. nowadays you've got the apps that can discover songs like that because of you know the work that Pandora's done, and and I'm not sure if Spotify was involved in it, but YouTube definitely was. And that whole um, re- recognition software that that just picks up on on all the the data bits of of sound, um, and actually that did you were you in the Spotify presentation at CD Baby? No. So yeah, in the CD Baby, uh, so the Spotify um, talk presentation, they were talking about somebody asked about uh, block, sorry, blockchain technology. So blockchain is what it's behind the Bitcoin digital currency, and it passes um, a lot of uh, you know encrypted data along with the file. And somebody asked about that for. Um, for actual sound files so that instead of having to fill in all your composer data and who mixed the song and and all that kind of stuff it's encrypted in the file so as soon as you upload it to cd baby or spotify or whoever um all that data is actually within the file um oh okay so and you know that explains a lot because but it's not there yet. She she said, oh. we have a team working on it and we're very interested, but it's not there yet. Okay, because so. I know the last couple of times I released music, um, the person who mastered it, he didn't put the, I think it's called like beta. I think it's, it's called- um, Metadata? M- metadata, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, he was like, well, now they, it was something had changed and they, they didn't want uh, people who were mastering files to put that on there. I think CD Baby or the distribution different companies, they'll add it when they get the file or yes. something like so that. What, so what happens with that is that you have to fill out the form yourself as the artist or the, mm-hmm. the copyright owner because the, the uh, I, guess, I guess it must be legal red tape. The, mm-hmm. if, the, if the mastering engineer does it, then it's probably not going to be right or it's, 
you know, they, they kind of want to wash their hands of it because they could get liable or something. I don't know. Um, but no, the, the, the point I was making was that the, the blockchain technology um, will enable everyone to kind of upload that when they're recording. And it's like, theoretically, it could be, you know, you, you have a, um, like a session file in your DAW and you have that all filled out prior. So you have your musicians and your, your location and whatever else you need to do so that you don't have to write notes. Like I know the, the CD Baby guys have always talked about, make sure that you're writing notes at sessions because you want to know who's who's doing what. And, and you know, you're not going to remember that six months later when you start uploading this stuff. You're like, oh, who, who, who played sax on that? And like, um, But yeah, the blockchain technology will allow that information to stay with the recording files along the process of mixing mastering uploading and and then all the distribution networks will actually end up um being able to you know propagate that information out of there and that was the one i know we kind of got off topic a little bit but um the one quote that i took away from cd baby was just you know information is the new oil like data yes. is the new Technology, oil. Technology, information, data is the new oil. You're absolutely right about that. It's it's more valuable. Mm -hmm. you know? So definitely. So, um, but let's lead that into uh, what are your um, strategies for social media and, and getting your music out? Well, one thing that I'm learning and I have been emphasizing with my clients is the importance of owning our content. Mm -hmm. And so social media is important. It is a marketing tool. At the same time, um, I encourage my clients to build outside of social media in a way that um, one, they can, they can own their content. They can create different um, revenue channels for themselves. And whenever these social media channels kind of evolve and change, they still have some mm -hmm. level of control over how their fans flow and how they're connected with their fans. So that's one right. thing. Um, I think with social media, you know, to me, I feel like social media is going through a transition. Um, people don't aren't really talking about it or we don't really know what's kind of going on, but it's almost like we're ready for something new. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that? A little bit. I mean, I, I've definitely noticed that uh, Instagram is more powerful than Facebook mm -hmm. because I think we are, um, you know, we're visual species. We right. like to look before we listen or touch or anything. Um, and I think that's, I've definitely found the most, um, you know, positive, uh, you know, increase in following on Instagram versus anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so I've just put more time into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about owning your content. I mean, the email list is the yeah, most important thing because yeah. if, if you, yeah, we said, if Facebook drops off the face of the earth, you know, and you've got a hundred thousand followers on Facebook and you don't have their email addresses, you can't get in touch with them. You have you're to start screwed. over. That's kind of what happened with, um, my, was it MySpace, MySpace? I believe. Exactly. It literally was like the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And then it like fell off the face of the earth, like overnight almost. Yep. It's crazy. And all of those people who were, they had to start over and build their following exactly. on other platforms. Um, another tool, um, what is it? Sound, SoundCloud? 
they you remember like a couple of years ago they had that bankruptcy situation and someone bought them out and they were getting ready to eliminate yes. the platform and people mm -hmm. were freaking out because they were like i had built all these followings and stuff so of course they were able to work around that but i don't think soundcloud has you know recovered fully from no. that i mean i know that soundcloud is very popular in the uh the hip-hop community because they do a lot of you know that that that's a genre that does a lot more collaborations with different mm -hmm. artists mixing and you know rapping over stuff and and i think it's very single driven whereas you know other genres are very right. album driven still they're still stuck in that mindset um and i think there's a lot of like i said collaboration with different artists it, it's not like a band that just keeps releasing albums it's like the all these collective of artists that are doing stuff um but I don't think right now, if I'm mistaken, that there's any revenue generation from it. I think it's just free tracks and that's it. They have slightly changed their model, okay. um, at least the last time that I had went on to the site, where uh, they were pushing like a, a subscription kind of process okay. and things like that, um, trying to find ways to bring in some revenue. Um, I don't know exactly how it's how much how well it's working. That's something mm. I'll probably look into. Right. Um, I love as you yourself, I love to read about, you know, things that are going on in the music industry and, um, I'm a, I'm an information nerd. So <laughs> I'm constantly like looking at articles and things like that and trying to take in new information, but that's something I'm definitely going to look into. Um, but I, social media is a, definitely a tool. Um, right. but one thing that I do emphasize with my clients is, for example, you have people who post thousands of times on their Instagram or on their Facebook, but then when you go search for them, it's ghosts. Like, right. you know, and it's like you put all this time into these channels, but there's no record showing your progress mm -hmm. and your level of investment as an artist when people go and Google your name. And so that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, making sure you own your content and it's being channeled back to those search engines. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's a good point. Um, I think a lot of times people get caught in the posting and getting likes mm -hmm. and, and follows. And it's like, at a certain point, it's ego numbers. It's this really not doing you any favors. If, if you can, you know, if you can really hone in on, all right, I got, you know, 200 new followers this month and, you know, but you really have to drill down and say, all right, how many website clicks did I get? Right. You know, did my Spotify streams go up? Did my iTunes down, you know, streams go up? it's it, it can't just be on posting stuff to get followers and that's it right you really have to use it as a tool as a tool to yeah. to do something else it's it's um and i think i fell into that trap too i'm like with my you know one of my bands it was like oh i've got this album that's not really me but it's it's what the the band has and i want to build up to like two thousand followers and which is great because it gets your name out there, but at some at some point you just got to stop and say, all right, well now I need to channel these people into this right funnel. You know, you got you got to get them somewhere to do something. Um, right. But yeah, I, I and I think social media <laughs> it it kind of goes back. It's related to kind of like streaming. You know, you mm -hmm. get to you get to tap into a bigger realm where people can have access to what you do and things like that. Um, but I still believe that nothing is better than the grassroots effort. Mm -hmm. I don't think that will ever die, regardless of what people say. Because my thing is, I find that our most loyal fans, you may have experienced this as well, is people that you meet. They meet you one time, they think you're awesome, 
and they're like your fan for life. Yep. You know, but then on social media, you do one thing wrong and they're gone. You know what I mean? Like some, some may still be loyal, but. So, uh, do you follow, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V much? You see yeah. his stuff. So he, he's a big proponent of the one-to-one mm-hmm. versus the one-to-many. You got, Ooh, it's, it. and, and CD Baby are, are very much, they kind of said the same thing is, you know, you like they, they, they said it about Twitter, but I, I don't use Twitter, but, um, it follows on every social media platform. It's if you think about social media as a party and you walk into that party, you, you make a post, you're basically yelling at everyone in the room. But if you go in and you, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, his, his example was like, I did this for a year. I just went on, you know, and I looked at a, a, a picture of someone who was working out swole or, you know, <laughs> hey, that that's a great photo or whatever. And he just did that consistently and he built his fan base up and up and up just because he wow. commented. But, you know, if you if you take away from that, you just got to be kind of social on social media and right. build friendships rather than build followers, you know. And, and again, it goes back to the thousand true fans. How long does it take to build a thousand? I mean, it's not like deep friendships, but... A connection where you say, "Well, I'm, I'm I'm the guitar player from such and such band. How's it going? Did you like the single?" And you have a conversation with someone, and if you can do that a couple of hundred times, you know you're going to get a lot more, you know, people that follow you and support you than you just, "Oh, great, I got a thousand likes on this video." Mm-hmm. Are they yeah. going to buy your music? Are they going to buy your T-shirt? You know, probably not. Right and. And many people assume that that actually happens. They've got a hundred thousand likes. We assume that they're getting booked and all this stuff, but that's not necessarily the case. I know an artist who has went viral several times and he mentioned that it just, we think it translates over, but he said, no, it, it doesn't, that's not guaranteed. But I think part of it has to do with figuring, figuring out a way to, to make that work to your advantage. So if there's certain things we're doing to follow up from those, you mm-hmm. know, those high moments, then then maybe we'll see some return on that. But I mean, if we're just sitting around expecting someone, the it's phone happened. to ring, that's not necessarily going to happen. And so. I'm going to bring up Mark again. Um, he made a huge, you know, good point is that, you know, something that they're focusing on for Honey Jack is retargeting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if, if someone's liked your band and they've bought the download or they bought the t-shirt, don't try and move on to the next person. Keep, keep you know um cultivating that relationship make sure that they're going to buy the next shirt that comes out the next whatever it is that you're offering you know don't forget about the fans you already have and that's true of any business you you have to kind of retarget who you're you know who already have given you the money you know they they're Nurture really that relationship you know yeah. exactly mm-hmm. um awesome yeah awesome cool there's so many subjects. Like we literally could talk about so many different things. So, yeah. Um, so yes. Uh, okay. So let's jump back to, um, there was something I read in your bio about you serving, teaching people about, uh, business and stuff. So if you want to talk about that, kind of jumping around a little bit, but absolutely. So I had a mentor who inspired me to volunteer. I had been taught, you know how you talk about stuff and you don't really follow through with it, Mm -hmm. but he was volunteering and he inspired me. So I decided to commit to teaching at this nonprofit that specialized in uh, teaching women who were victims of domestic violence, re-entering the workforce um, through 
coming from out of incarceration or um, stay-at-home moms who've mm -hmm. been home for 20 years and didn't have any skills, um, helping them get back in the workforce and build other skills. So I started volunteering with that and we had to commit, I think it was like six or eight weeks at a time. And I fell in love with it. And I did that every week for five years. Awesome. Um, of course, you know, out of town here and there, what have you, but I stayed committed for five years. And um, it was amazing. So I worked with um, people with comp different computer applications, um, presentation skills, resume writing, interview skills, things like that, and just helping them move on to greater and bigger things. Um, some of the women who attended the class, they were, I mean, they would come out and when they would come into the class, their confidence was just like, they were so scared. Mm -hmm. By the end, they were so confident and they would get jobs. They would go ahead and um, move forward with getting their GED. They would go to college, things like that. One thing that was so humbling for me, it was, I mean, when I tell you it was a humble, humbling moment, was I remember the first day I walked in and I said, okay, turn on your computers. And someone looked at me and said, how do I turn on this computer? Mm -hmm. When I, I just, like, it just makes me emotional thinking about it because it brought me back down to the ground because it made me realize that we walk around and we take so much for granted mm -hmm. and we assume that everyone has access to, to certain information and that's not the case. Right. Um, yeah, you really just, have to step into someone else's shoes to be, and just try and force yourself to be present in right. their perspective right and and we think we're humble we think we understand what people are going through and dealing with and that was a moment where it was like toy you don't know anything what people are dealing with mm. everyone does not have access to computers technology they don't know how to use a computer and stuff like that so anyway that moment forward i always made sure to take step by step and not to assume anything mm -hmm. so i mean it was down to how to use a mouse what is a mouse how do i turn on my computer what is a monitor Mm -hmm. What is a um, keyboard, you know, things like that. So absolutely. And uh, what was the uh, what was the organization that you were volunteering for? It was called Ladder Alliance. Mm -hmm. And so they had, um, of course, a private area for women who were just now getting out of situations. And um, the area I worked in, you know, women could come and go as they pleased. But there were times where women would disappear. Like I wouldn't see them. And, you know, maybe because mm -hmm. they're trying to stay safe or something like that. It was very heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, but I had another humbling moment. I found myself in a similar situation a few years later. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how can I, how did this happen? You know, I spent five years teaching women how to get out of these type of situations and, and build something for themselves. And I found myself in this situation, once again, a humbling experience. So, but I learned so much from that. Yeah. I mean, just going back to uh, not knowing how to uh, turn on a computer. I mean, as someone who teaches guitar, it's like, you know, you, you kind of almost have to switch the guitar guitar to the other hand once in a while i'm like holy crap i can't do anything with this hand you know <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever it is you know just to force yourself back into that mindset where they you know i i really like to teach i mean this this isn't yeah this, this is kind of related by just the fact that i like to teach um things from the perspective of you know you're a baby learning a new language 
you know, teaching music, but it's more than that because you have to, you, you as a, as a, you know, a grown person already take for granted that you can tie your own shoes and you can breathe without thinking about it and all this other stuff. And now you've got this thing that you've got, you know, muscle control, you've got ear training, you've got a, how, how to control your, you know, either it be your vocal cords or your, you know, your muscles again, but you want to know, you got to connect the muscles to the ear and the brain to be able to play this melody. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess, you know, going, going to, to having those life skills, um, just seems like it'd be something really more humbling because you're already, you're almost starting from ground zero in a society where you, you, you know, take it, take, taking, um, you know, what's the word taking for granted that, you know, everyone can, everyone can use a, a laptop or a PC yeah. or a tablet. And it's like, I walked in there assuming that they, they knew the basics and man, when I say I, I, everything just hit the floor. Like I almost wanted to cry. Cause it was like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, we live in America. We think everyone has all these, this stuff and, and they don't. Mm -hmm. And, um, they're, people are just trying to make it. And I even had some situations where people would drop because they were so intimidated by the process of learning how to use a computer. And um, and I, I remember there was moments I'd be like, just keep coming back. You can do this, you can do this, just keep coming back. And some people would fight through it and some people, they would get so intimidated, they just would not come back. And so, and I think about them to this day, I'm just like, I hope at some point they mm -hmm. went back to learn that. Cause nowadays it's like a requirement to just, apply for a job, you know, yep. even at Walmart, you got to apply online on like a kiosk or something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that brings me back. We, we kind of laugh about it a little bit, but we really shouldn't. But you know, my, my father-in-law is, doesn't have a computer. He, his phone is a, a flip phone. And when we went to Italy, um, you know, we rented the, uh, who was that through Air Canada. So Air Canada, you rent the the um, the iPads instead of having one in your seat. Um, so we, we got them for the kids and we got him one to watch a movie. And, you know, the kids are just, you know, staring at their iPads, watching their movies. And he had trouble putting the stand on the, the flip case up, mm -hmm. like, let alone trying to scroll. He had no, you know, had no idea, but, you know, he's in his 70s. He oh, he's living a peaceful life. Because uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I find that being able to detach from that technology we um and people may argue something different but i really feel like technology is taking a toll on people's mental health yes I agree. um and so i find when people are able to pull away from that they tend to be more settled the anxiety level i think social media causes anxiety that's absolutely um any any outside um influence on you know, the human psyche is bound to change people's mental state, mm -hmm. good or bad. Yeah, I mean, just you, the, you, the scrolling on the eyes yeah. and what that constant, you know, I'm like, oh, this is not good for the, for the mean, eyes the, and the, the brain. The, the blue light filters are good because mm -hmm. they take away that blue light. Okay. And it, you can set it up so it, it gradually goes bluer as the day goes on. And that's mm -hmm. supposed to help your, your circadian rhythms. Um, but um, I've read that you know, the, the scrolling and, and, you know, hitting likes and stuff like that really plays into the, um, 
uh, endorphin system, just mm-hmm. like, you know, have, having a, an alcohol addiction, drug addiction, food addiction, whatever it is, any addiction is basically has a stimulus that stimulates your, your endorphins or your uh, whatever other chemical is in your brain. But it's, it, you know, the, the actual um, chemical or whatever you're, you're addicted to is actually not that important. It's the process of having that hit your brain. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've heard of people being in rehab for social mm-hmm. media. I've heard of that before. Absolutely. So, but yeah. So moderation, everything in moderation. Everything in moderation, <laughs> unplug. Unplug. 30 minutes before bed, no electronics. Yes. Difficult to do. But. Um, <laughs> so let's, uh, you know, let's move on to the big questions. Um, could you talk about a, you know, one really uh, bad event that you've had or setback that you've had to overcome and what did you learn from it? Overcome. Um, well, I, I mentioned earlier about how I struggled with depression for 10 years and working to overcome that. Um, that has been tough. And in the midst of that, I still struggle with seasonal depression. Mm-hmm. So I have to watch that. Like now it started to kind of get cool. And that was like the first thing I thought of. I was like, I don't want to go through this again. But don't um, go north. Don't go north. Yeah. And I was on the verge of moving to New York. I'm glad I didn't because, I mean, just this right here gets me. Mm-hmm. Um, so constantly having to combat combat that, you know, with um, making sure I'm eating mm-hmm. right, which can be part of the side effect of the depression I deal with emotional eating. And then um, exercising, physical exercise. Um, I injured my back mm-hmm. um, about a, a year ago. And so I wasn't able to work out like I used to because um, I actually love to work out. I love to walk and things like that. And so just kind of making sure that I'm still able to get some sort of physical activity. Right. But um, one, being honest with myself with what I was dealing with, that hey, I'm suffering from depression. Why I was suffering from depression, getting help and figuring out what all elements needed to happen. Because it wasn't just one thing that was going to resolve my issue. It was right. multiple things. Like I said, exercise food, making sure I'm around people. Um, cause I can get in the moments where I'm literally by myself, you know, mm-hmm. so making sure I'm staying social, things like that, talking to someone. So. Yeah, it definitely helps. I mean, I, if you go back to, uh, um, some of the episodes, I talk about the same thing. Um, and you know, just the, the, I think the moment that started to help a lot was just kind of admitting that I have those issues you know, like my last job, I was holed up in a, um, you know, a cubicle and I was kind of too proud to say, Hey, I'm dealing with stuff. But as soon as I started talking about it, you know, and getting it out there, it was like, wow, this is really cathartic, mm-hmm. you know, somebody else in it now at this point, it doesn't matter that anyone else hears it, but it matters because somebody else hears it and might relate. But for, for my pride, I guess it's like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter now. And now I can, I can just say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing well. Right. And it's okay. So, um, it's, it's power in just like being honest with ourselves. mm -hmm. And I find that intriguing because sometimes just saying what's going on or what's wrong is so difficult for people Mm -hmm. and they don't realize it by saying and admitting and being honest with yourself. It literally takes the power out of it. It's like, it's a totally different feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a feedback loop. Like if you're if you're struggling through a pro, you know, not not a mental problem, but like a a task that you're trying to solve an issue, 
um, and you just run your ideas through another person, you know, it's like a, a, a you know, like a, a group talks of, you know, a, an entrepreneurial group or whatever talks about their, their comings and goings. And if you start voicing the issues you're having, even if the other person doesn't have the, um, you know, the answer to you, the fact that your brain has said it out loud is actually the feedback loop to say you're hearing yourself talking, you know, talking about it and your brain's going to say, ah, all right, let, let me think about this. You go to bed and you might have the answer in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this, to a point, it's the same thing with this. It's, you know, if you're, you're kind of telling your subconscious there's a problem and unless you're actually voicing it verbally, I don't think you're, you know, the, the two halves of your brain kind of don't talk if they're inside. One right. has to be outside the body kind of thing. So, well, thank you for sharing that. That was mm-hmm. awesome. Um, on the positive note, like what was a big win or, you know, achievement that, that you kind of took from anything that said, well, I can actually do this, whether it be music or business or. Yes. So it would be my workshops. Mm-hmm. The last workshop that I did, um, every seat was, was filled and it was a successful day. It was a powerful day. Someone asked me, they said, how did your workshop go? I'm like, it was powerful. You know, it was reassurance of what I should be doing with my life. And, um, I just knew at that point, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, helping people be successful, helping people um, support them in their journeys and and taking all of this business knowledge that I use at my day job and transferring it over to the creative community. Um, So yeah, that has just been a win and just an inspiration. Awesome. Uh, Finally, the big, big question is, what does music mean to you? Wow. Music means, wow, that's the first time anyone's ever asked me that question. But when I think of music, I think of happiness. I think of connection. I think of joy. I think of expression. I think of an opportunity to let go and to be free. And it's a beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's a beautiful gift. And I'm just grateful for it. And honestly, had I not had music, I don't think I would be here today. I can definitely relate to that. Absolutely. I would have, I would not have graduated high school. Music was part of what kept me going every day with going to school, that commitment of showing up. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't a great student growing up. Um, and it wasn't because, um, I had a learning disability or anything like that. It was because I was a different type of learner. And so, um, of course, as you know, in, in American schools, I don't know back home if it's different, but um, education is taught one way. Even though there's like five styles of learning or something, it's taught one way. So I struggled in school, but had it not been for music, I would have just been mm-hmm. like, forget this. There's no point in me being here. Um, so music is definitely a gift. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, back home, pretty much the same. I mean, the style of learning slightly different, but yeah, I, I just don't think the resources are there anywhere to kind of separate the five styles of learning. And then you segregate people into five, you know, areas. It's like, well, that's not right. You know, everyone needs a trophy right. and people don't understand the psychology behind it. So right. that's a huge other topic. 
Right. And as soon as I got into college and I was forced to learn how mm. my learning style was, um, I went from like a C student to like an honor student wow. because I had to figure that out for myself. Right. And um, yeah. So I never journey. had a problem. I, I, I would say I was a bad student just because a lot of stuff came too easy to me mm. and I got very lazy in school. I just didn't care. And I did no revision for my exams and I still end up getting reasonable grades. If I'd have studied, I'd have got really good grades, but I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, I'm not a test taker at all, even to this day. I love tests. Like really? I love multiple choice tests, but when it comes to doing, I was always the type of student that I didn't want to memorize all this stuff, but like in, in a college course I took, it took me weeks and weeks and weeks to figure out this. I can't remember what, whatever it was. It was something in math and it was like a function mm -hmm. and, and they wanted you to memorize all this stuff. And as soon as the um, professor said, it's because of this, and he explained how it worked, it was like, done, I know it. Yeah. I didn't need all that other stuff. Didn't it was like, I needed yeah. to know how it worked, not you know, why it worked, not all this other memorization stuff, because as soon as I knew that, I could do everything. Right. So, and, and it's style of learning. Yeah, it's kind um, of, I mean, I think it's the same concept of when your parents tell you not to do something, but then they don't tell you why. Right. And then when they tell you why, it may, everything else makes sense. Like, okay, now that makes sense, you know. Yeah, don't but, touch the stove because you're going to yeah. burn yourself and it will hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. Um, well, cool. Um, so let's talk about, uh, you know, where people can find you. Um, musically, let's start off with, where, where, where's your music life? Absolutely. So my music is available on all major music platforms and um, people can find me by Latoya Cooper, the songstress. You can Google that. I'm very searchable. So you can put that in Google. Everything will pop up. Um, I also have a website as an artist that is LatoyaCooper.com. And yes. Awesome. Um, and then as music meets the boardroom, how do you find that? I mean, find out more about it. Yes, absolutely. So um People who are interested can go to musicmeetstheboardroom.com. Also, if they're interested in attending any of the workshops, they can um, sign up on Eventbrite. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's linked through your website? Yes, okay. it is. Cool. Um, actually, that the um, workshops for 2020 are going to launch next Tuesday. Okay. And I'm hoping to have a billboard as well. Awesome. In the city. Nice. So next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Is what date? Is the 15th. Okay. And um, we've got a press release going out on the 15th at 7 a.m. East Coast time. Okay. Um, I'm working on a billboard as well. Um, everything's going to be up on Eventbrite and we're going to have some videos and some marketing going and things like that. I'm going to be reaching out to teachers, uh, uh, vocal coaches and, and just uh, university professors and things like that. So everybody's awesome. aware of the event. Cool. And now I'm now I'm under pressure to edit this before the 15th. Oh, oh no. <laughs> it's fine. And it um, will be available from the 15th and beyond. Okay, that's good. So, well, awesome. Any other, um, you have a monthly re re uh, residency? I do. I have a monthly residency at Shipping and Receiving Bar in downtown Fort Worth in the Medical District. Okay, awesome. The second Wednesday of every month. Nice. Are there any plans on touring outside of that right now or? Not right now. I'm open to it um, once 2020 comes in. I used to actually fly to New York uh, every three months and uh, perform there, but I haven't done that in a while. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me today and coming 
checking out the digs. Um, what I like to do at the end of the um, show is play a piece of music. So what song would you like everyone to hear? Beautiful Bird. Yes. Awesome. That's not just because I said it was my favorite. No, that's my favorite too. Awesome. <laughs> Yes. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. All right. Very good. Thanks again to LaToya for taking the time to sit down and share her story. Thank you for listening to the episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Please think about leaving a review on iTunes, which really gets the word out about the podcast. And hit me up on social media and tell me what platform you're listening on. You can reach me on facebook.com forward slash music on your own terms. Or on Instagram, you can find me at Metal Doggy. That's M-E-T-A-L-D-O-G-G-I-E. As always, keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. Here is LaToya Cooper, the songstress, with Soar, Beautiful Bird. Reflection of your soul It's prettier than gold